0: Hi, everyone. Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. As we do on a monthly basis, we do like to spend some time examining the fixed income asset class by tying in the Fixed Income Strategist monthly publication. Uh, The latest edition we're covering on today's episode, the title of the report Tapering the tightening. So looking forward to hearing from Leslie Falconio, head of taxable fixed income strategy for the Americas, as well as John Burtop, his first appearance with us, Fixed Income Analyst Americas. Leslie and John are from the UBS chief investment office so Leslie John it's great to be with you both and thank you for spending some time today with our listeners and clients we will spend some time digging into the publication though for our listeners Leslie it might be helpful to hear a bit of a market update following what has been a turbulent start to the year so Leslie what kind of performance trends have you been picking up on lately
1: yeah absolutely Dan and thank you for having us Well, I mean, when we think about it, I mean, our expectation when we wrote the, you know, January, the beginning of January, fixed income strategists was that, given the amount that financial conditions had loosened in November and December, with such a large decline in interest rates from the five hundred one that we saw in October all the way down to actually we hit the three seventy three in December, and given the and given the amount of spread compression that we saw. Um, due to the, you know, Chair Powell's December FMC meeting uh, being a little bit more concrete regarding that the July rate hike was likely the last, Um, you know, our expectation heading into the year was, was that you'd get a bit of pullback from that exuberance as we started the new year. Um Obviously, people have more money to to put to work. You know, the first quarter has a tendency to be a bearish quarter when yields rise. February is a bearish month. You know, March is the Japanese uh, year end, so they have a tendency to pull back. So the expectation was that interest rates would rise um, and that we would actually probably see a little bit widening in credit spreads given how well they did in the last two months of the year. Well, one of those things have happened. You know, our expectation was that we initially set a 10 year yield range of 375 to 425 with the expectation that you go back up to to four and a quarter, probably simply because of the give back of the strength that we saw in November, December. Now, one of the variances that was uh, in the marketplace starting in December was the market's future expectation of a Fed cut, which, in our opinion, was way too dovish. And at one point, they were pricing in about 170 basis points of cuts in 2024. They were pricing in a March cut. Um, And we had disagreed with that notion. And We expected the Fed guidance, which is backward-looking, and the fixed-income markets, which is forward-looking – to at some point converge. And that's exactly really what happened. And this is what we're seeing the first two months of the year. I mean, the range in t- Treasury yields in January was about a 380 to a 420, right, within our range. But it's the 40 basis points move in, in just one month, right, intraday. So one of the things that we've, we've looked at now is that now that the market has converged to where that they're saying, okay, the, the inflation numbers have been... Not overly strong, but they're sticky, right? We know that goods, uh, inflation has been coming down because a lot of these supply chain bottlenecks have been lifted. But on the service side, you're still seeing this service inflation that, you know, will probably put the, the Fed to not cut until mid-year and definitely buy a lesser amount than that 170 basis points that the market was pricing in. And we are now projecting about 75. So the market has readjusted in expectations given the strength of non-for-payroll, given the strength in some of the inflation numbers. So now when we think about where we're going to be is that you know we've kind of lifted our range a little bit in terms of interest rates in the short term from a 4 to 45 given that growth in the first quarter seems to be going um, quite well, and also the fact that inflation is still not necessarily on a linear trend lower. So with that said, our expectation is still for 3.5% tender yield at the end of the year because we do anticipate a Fed cut. The one caveat that we've seen is risk assets, which have done continuously... Um, quite well, particularly those that have higher embedded credit risks, whether it's a lower quality CMBS, a preferred, a high yield, and investment grade corporates are multi-year tights. So this sort of momentum from November and December that we thought would give, have a little bit of give back, given the rise in interest rates, it actually hasn't. So I think it's one of the reasons why the, the market is confident that the Fed will cut this year. And that confidence, while we agree that the Fed will cut, also can pose a risk Nothing nothing major in terms of large spread widening, but we do expect a bit of give back, particularly in the lower credit quality sectors.
0: Well, Leslie, thank you for bringing our listeners up to speed on what has been driving performance within the asset class thus far, sharing some performance expectations as well as we make our way further through 2024. So uh, with that backdrop, I do want to welcome John into the conversation. John, I know within this month's fixed income strategist, you do spend time examining the Fed's timeline for QT, quantitative tightening. So uh, I'm curious what criteria conditions need to be met for that to commence. And John, what are your thoughts on the potential timing? Thanks,
2: Dan. Um, and yes, uh, like you mentioned in our in our lead article for this month's the fixed income strategist, we took a look at the Fed's policy around quantitative tightening and the factors that the Fed's going to consider as they begin to taper that tightening. Um, so I'll actually answer your, fir- your second question first, because the criteria and conditions that they're going to need to see is going to feed into that. But in terms of potential timing, um, you know, Jay Powell stated during his press conference in January, uh, we saw it reiterated in Fed Minutes released yesterday, that the committee will begin discussing QT at the March meeting. Um, And then the expectation from there is that they're going to announce in May that they will start the taper in June, so potentially looking at a timeline of of mid-year for QT to begin. But with that said, um, that will depend on your first question. What are the criteria and conditions the Fed is going to need to see to start this process? So what are they looking at? Well, first, we hear a lot that that the Fed will look at the size of the overnight reverse repo facility, and that's that's something we've been hearing already and are just going to continue to hear more about. Uh, but this facility is where the money market funds, government-sponsored entities, other financial institutions like that can hold their reserves with the Fed, and right now earn an interest rate of about 5.3%. Um, and many people, including some on the FOMC, kind of consider this as a good proxy to gauge overall liquidity in the market. And what we've seen is that as the yields on shorter-term treasuries have risen, as, as rates have risen, especially the one-month. And three-month T-bills uh, um, have actually reached a peak of around 5.4%, money market funds especially started rotating the reserves out of the overnight reverse repo, using them to buy up those short-term treasuries because they can go and earn that, that higher yield. So what that's done is it's caused the level of reserves in overnight reverse repo to fall from $2 trillion about a year ago, last March, to now uh, it's just under $600 billion today. Um, so a precipitous drop off in, in you know, less than 12 months. And what we expect is that the Fed is going to watch that as it goes lower. And once it nears, we think about 200 to $250 billion, that's going to be a big signal to the Fed of when, when they're going to need to start tapering their, their quantitative tightening. So then another factor that they're going to look at um, is the level of larger bank reserves and um, what we call the SOFR-IORB spread. So IORB being the interest on reserve balances, which is the interest rate those larger banks can earn on uh, holding their reserves on deposit at the Fed. And then SOFR being the transactions-based rate that serves as a measure of lending and borrowing activity in the market. And an interesting dynamic that we see play out is that as the SOFR IORB spread, which is typically negative, as it approaches zero and turns positive, there's a negative correlation to bank reserves. Um, so they actually start decreasing as that spread grows, uh, grows and turns positive. Um, so the spread is going to be an indicator the Fed will watch to determine when we're nearing that what we call the lowest comfortable level of bank reserves, which is considered to be about uh, 10 to 12 percent of GDP. So 2.7 to 3.4 trillion. Um, right now, that level is at 3.5 trillion, so we're just outside of it. Um, and so while we expect the taper to start in June, it's going to depend on, on these criteria and these conditions um, and the factors I just described are going to help determine that. But I do also just want to quickly note that, um, you know, we're talking about tapering QT at the same time we're talking about potential rate cuts. And just to make sure um, there's some clarity that they don't necessarily go hand-in-hand hand, um, with, uh, with each other. So, one, you know, whether we start rate Cuts, doesn't mean we're going to start QT and vice versa. Um, they're, they're they're factors for each other, but they're not going to be a part of um, of the decision-making process for, for each other.
0: Thank you, John. That is helpful clarification for our listeners, our clients. So I'm curious, with this shift in policy perhaps on the horizon within a few months, how do you anticipate fixed-income markets will respond?
2: Yeah, I mean, we think that the fixed income markets are going to view this favorably. Um, First, you'll have the Fed decreasing the amount of runoff from its balance sheet and reinvesting a larger portion of of maturing securities than they have been back into the market. So you're going to remove some of the anxiety the market has had over liquidity concerns. And uh, um, as a result, there's going to be a little bit more confidence across the board, and that's going to help decrease volatility. And lower volatility is a tailwind for fixed income performance. Um, and then naturally, we also expect treasury yields are going to fall as well as the Fed picks up its purchases. Um, the Fed's a price insensitive buyer, so uh, we expect those yields to fall. That's going to give the market a little bit more confidence um, in in performance. Um, now, I will emphasize that the QT taper by itself won't, won't determine the direction of yields or returns. It's going to be one of... of several factors, but it is going to be an important factor, and uh, it should help create a supportive environment for fixed income in the months ahead.
0: Now, in terms of what this all means for positioning, Leslie, looking at the allocation table, how are you currently recommending that investor's position within fixed income?
1: You know, as I mentioned before, I mean, the the higher embedded credit sectors, the spreads have tightened in um, to several-year compression, and there's, there still represents gray carry in those sectors. We are neutral. The sectors were not, at least, preferred simply because of the yield they're earning. But we do anticipate a bit of spread widening um, later, later in the year. Again, not to a catalyst point, but, you know, we were going to be opportunistic on those kind of sectors and possibly add um, as spreads widen. We are really still looking towards that higher quality sectors, you know, given where we are in the cycle, you know, given that, you know, particularly now that the likelihood of the Fed moving later in the year in June, just exasperates the high for longer, and given where real Fed funds rate are right now, and the fact that they're fairly restrictive, should start to curtail demand. Even though we are in, in the soft landing camp, we should see a slowing of growth over the you know over the rest of the year. You know, one thing that I, you know I, I will state is that you know we had this four and a quarter as the top of the range, we're moving that a little bit to four and a half percent, just given the the strength that we're seeing in first quarter growth. And, you know, the expectation that the Fed will probably stay high for longer, given that inflation, you know, trended higher a touch again, but it is just one month. You know, so we are in the buy-the-dip mentality still. You know, we think, you know, if you haven't locked in, you should lock in. You know, now, we, if you haven't done it yet, I would wait closer to that 4.5%, but just know that more than likely in the second part of the year, we're going to have yields coming down. Um, I think higher quality will really start to outperform and see those kind, that kind of spread compression. That the lower quality is really already kind of, uh, experienced, particularly those sectors that are, have a higher correlation to the equity market. Um, you know, overall, we're still, we still like things like agency CMBS as one of our favorite sectors. You know, CMBS, even with all the negative headlines in terms of regional bank pockets of vulnerability in the past month, CMBS has done very well. We still like that in the high quality. You know, our tips position. This is one of the positions that you know we like very much because our entry level was good at around a 220, 225 real yield, and we're substantially lower than that now. But this also will create a bit of, of a protection of the market, just assuming that or projecting that we'll hit that 2% uh, Fed fund target rate by the end of the year, which and most likely, as we're seeing, while inflational will trend lower, hitting that target by the end of the year might be a, a bit uh, of an obstacle. So we still like the TIPS market as protection, and we're still going into invest in great corporates. Which, by the way, from a you know from a relative value spread perspective, they're incredibly tight in the low 90s, um, but they are offering very good carry, and most importantly, they have this interest rate risk in that seven to 10 year that we have, combined with the the short end, they have an interest rate risk that we think you will offer some price appreciation as yields move lower. In the second half of the year, combined with some good carry, so we're not looking at a lot of spread compression from investment grade. We're not looking for them to experience a tremendous amount of spread widening. But this is really more of a you know a carry embedded interest rate um, exposure type of sector that we like for the remainder of the year.
0: Well, Leslie and John, thank you both for dropping by top of the morning today to spend some time with our listeners, our clients, keeping them informed on the performance drivers within fixed income. Interesting to hear about how the Fed policy environment, how that might evolve in the months ahead. And of course, appreciate the guidance when it comes to positioning as well. So uh, thank you both again for your time today. Thank you, Dan will point everyone to the Fixed Income Strategist publication. Again, that title, Tapering the Tightening. The publication is available now up on UBS.com slash CIO for clients of UBS. Simply reach out to your UBS financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of the publication directly. From UBS Studios, I'm Ben Cassidy. Thank you for
3: joining us.